Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. I'll just introduce uh, our three special guests again. You probably already uh, know them from the beginning of the film. On my right, we have Margot Anderson, who is uh, a curator. Well, maybe maybe I could get each of you to introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us um, how you fit in here. Sure. Um, I'm the curator of opera and dance at the Performing Arts Collection, which is part of the Arts Centre, um, Arts Centre Melbourne. Did you want more than that? Um, no, that's <laughs> fine. And then we have Catherine Thompson. I'm Catherine Thompson. I'm a screenwriter and playwright, and was a playwright. Uh, and I'm um, I'm here because I'm uh, in the very early development stages of a scre- of a feature documentary about Ori Kelly, the costume designer. I'm Anna Borghese, and I'm a costume designer and production designer and all rounder really. Um, yeah, and I'll talk about that when we talk about this. Catherine, I wonder if we could begin with you, as you're probably the one who's been most um, involved in looking at the life and times of costume designer Ori Kelly. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how um, about what was so special and unique about Ori Kelly, our... Um, Australian-born costume designer who won three Oscars for his work in Hollywood. I'll temper this by saying that there is more to come and there's more to come because uh, of a missing manuscript. But um, the way I suppose I st- uh, Gillian and I both um, say to people is there was a guy from Kiama. In, on the coast of New South Wales and um, he could paint a bit and he went to live in New York in, in his early 20s and he fell in love with a, um, a, a young vaudevillian, 17-year-old vaudeville guy uh, from Britain and this is in the 20s and they lived together and the vaudeville guy didn't have a lot of success. He walked around on stilts in Times Square, spruiking movies. Um, Ori Kelly designed... Um, shows, theatre shows for the Schuberts, bits and pieces. Um, but a lot of the time, he and this um, Archie Leach were running a speakeasy, or they were, or one time Ori Kelly was designing bathrooms on the Upper East Side for, for rich women. Um, and so we get to the 30s, even in the time of the Depression, Warners make that big move and, and, and buy the studio. And Ori Kelly goes to Hollywood and Archie Leach follows not too far behind. They change their names. George Ori Kelly just becomes Ori Kelly and Archie Leach becomes Cary Grant. And um, some of you probably know that already. But um, that's the story. And that, that's a good hook for, for us. And, and, um, and in, he, in the 50s, 
Uh, he began in the 30s, and I'm sorry, I don't have the list in front of me, but if you looked at what he designed in, 19, in the 30s alone, mm. we are talking, I think Prolific. it was 53 films a year. Oh. Uh, it's a one a week. Hmm. Oh. No wonder he drank. Um, so, so he designed, and and he had magnificent artistry, as you, you can see, even in the. I mean, we can, obviously mm. we'll talk about that, but it makes me gasp to look at that little attic, mm. and look at the the hue of fabric uh, of the of those costumes, and the way those three women constantly fit beautifully mm. inside that scrappy mm. Parisian hue. Anyway, that's part of his genius. He and. Um, so, so there we are, yes. So, so I've been doing detective work, um, enormous amount of detective work. I think we know where the manuscript is in, in, in California and now it's a matter of just raising some funds and getting there. Hmm. There we are. Right. But we, we have, you know, we're, we're at the stage of looking for distributors and investors and all of those sort of things. And you were involved with Gillian Armstrong's uh, Unfolding Florence. That's you wrote right, the, the screenplay yeah. for that. Yeah. And that was a very stylish and um, um, beautiful film do- documentary, a dramatised documentary. Is the Ori Kelly one planned to That's be like that? That's what we plan like to do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've got a few, something very beautiful up our sleeves. but we'll, Yeah. yeah. Well, it's very odd to talk about something that hasn't even been made yet. But, uh, yeah, so, we've, yeah, so, you know, he... He grew up in Kayama. There's a blowhole in Kayama, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's a fairly fabulous motif. Um, he, 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 his father dived, could hold his breath so long, he dived in a shipwreck and, and rescued people. So there's a lot of water things that we can play with and, and have fun with because, above all, Ori Kelly was apparently very funny, sorry, very, very, very funny and witty, a mean, mean drunk. Um, but I've fallen in love with him. Mm. And Anna Borghese, uh, mm. you're a costume designer. Mm. You've done a lot of work um, here in Australia, including Mao's Last Dancer, yep. um, Romper Stomper, Head On, television like Tangles, Sea Change and Lowdown. When you see um, Ori Kelly's work, what, what do you think? What are the things that strike you about it as a costume designer? Look, I think one of the really interesting things about that particular film is that it's very compact and some of his mastery is that he could do enormous sprawling musicals with casts of thousands and you would still be completely drawn into the middle of it. And this is actually a small film. It doesn't have a huge cast, even though there's lots of extras in Mm. feathers and bling wandering around in the background to give the impression that they're creating amazing large-scale musical pieces. You don't... You never see them. You see... I think the biggest cast pieces are with the hilarious bikey boys and the girls at the beginning um, in that black-and-white series. But the rest of it is actually very compact, but you still are so drawn in and engaged with the visuals of the film and the stories that the visuals are telling you. And the characters are so beautifully drawn in their costuming and it all emerges at the end in terms of especially um, Joy with her fabulous little collars and her neat trousers Mm. and she's all very proper and the other two, again, I mean, their, their clothing completely informs you about who they are and what their visual journey is during the film. Just slight changes, different things emerge and they're just little hooks for you to grab onto and that's part of his 
um, his mastery of the craft of costume designing. And I love in the credits it says wardrobe buyer. Whenever somebody says to me, oh, you do wardrobe, I say, listen, not two doors that open. I design costumes. (laughs) People wear costumes. You don't wear a wardrobe. You know, you can, it's, a, it's a word that's kind of loosely used to describe costuming. But the art of costuming is a really precise mm-hmm. art. And the less... My, the thing that's really important for me is that the less people notice, the better the work. Mm-hmm. And again, his work is a huge part of the film but it's completely cohesive. You don't just watch it and say, oh, the costumes were great. Mm. You go, what a great story. What Mm. a great story that's been told. And part of the reason that you can stay in the story is because the visuals are so perfect for the story. And if they were out of balance and out of alignment, you wouldn't have that same feeling. I think Mm. an equivalent now, of course, is Baz and Catherine with the work that they do. And they produce these fantastic, big large-scale works that are cohesive because visually the storytelling and uh, or the, the storytelling and the visual um, psychology I guess uh, they're so connected the two are just so connected and you can't separate them in a good in a good picture the thing I love is is um, in the opening you know in the courtroom which is monochrome yeah know, which is wonderful yeah. but you know the two different hats the hat yeah. you know her hat is and the crazy big, feathers sticking the up feathers in the sticking up <laughs> and then the the brim hat and then of course yeah. everything changes, changes. As, as the truth starts to, yeah, to shift change. and also those three magnificent um, uh, dresses for the for the final party in the, the ash here beautiful that that you know you, you think you can imagine someone making a complete mess of that, mm. but he used to call it gowns by Ori Kelly. So there is yep. a credit that says gowns. Yep. So yep. Yep. Of, yeah. Oh no, I know it was yeah. more just a reference to. I think costumes, costumes, and costume design is one of those strange areas where people never quite know where it sits and how it should sit and how the designer should be treated or who the designer is mm. in relation. You know, a battle that's often had is between the production designer and costume designer because the production mm. designer will say, you sit under my umbrella of the production design of the film. And I would always say, no, no, no. See that line? That's your side mm-hmm. and that's my side. Mm-hmm. I'll look at your side and, of course, I'll draw from your side, but mm-hmm. you don't tell me how to do my costumes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ori Kelly, that was... It's very clearly his work and his domain. And I totally get why he drinks. I mean, nobody can do that much work. You can't produce that amount of work. Having said that, it was a different system. I mean, you had an office. You had a job to go to. You know, we work freelance now, and really it's one or two films a year, and there's nothing like the production, I don't think anywhere in the world anymore, of that um, number of films. But he would, it was a job. You know, it's, he could have been going to the bank every day. You'd go to work, you'd do your costume drawings, you'd get your fittings done. And the, the great thing for Ori Kelly was that he was in the studios at a time when all these remarkable actors were emerging and it was also the emergence of the star. Mm. So he was also attached to that journey, which is... Fantastic. But he was attached to Betty Davis yeah, right at the beginning. And there were 100 right. researchers working in Warner Brothers. Mm. So they had 100 researchers. I'm talking about the 30s, 40s. Mm. Interestingly, this film is made um, it, it, at the time he, he'd already been sacked from Warner's mm. for many years. Mm. He wasn't drinking. But he was also uh, at a time when, when everyone was becoming freelance. Yep. So people were now at mm. a stage where they're actually attached to artists that they like to work mm. with so directors who wanted to work with a uh, with a designer instead mm. of having to barter across the studios mm. 
people were now actually forming those mm. alliances is that we know to, when, as we work, you know. So that's an interesting uh, And thing interestingly, too. that happens more now with makeup artists and oh, actors yes, than yeah. it does with costume designers right. and actors. Some oh, actors, mm. um, depending on if they're marquee actors, mm-hmm. they may have more of a say about mm-hmm. who their designer is. But I think the level of investment now in filmmaking is so great in terms of dollars mm. that um, the, what the performer is entitled to demand has shifted, but makeup artists and actors now are. Of course, that's a joined at the hip kind of right. arrangement yes, because right. the lens yes, is all is, that. Is gold, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Mm. And Margot Anderson, as a curator um, of the performing arts, how aware do you think we are of... of our amazing uh, costume designers and production designers who've done so well in Hollywood. I think I've got here that um, they've won more Oscar nominations and wins for design and costume production design than in any other category. And yet, for instance, with Ori Kelly um, and John Truscott, I don't think a lot of us had even really probably heard of them before today. Yeah, I, I mean... Guess I am sort of talking more from a, a theatre perspective, but um, we definitely had um, have John Truscott very much represented in our collection. Um, mainly, I guess, well, there's obviously the fact that he actually designed the interiors of the art centre and you know um, Hamer Hall. But going back, yeah, it's um, his connection with with Camelot, um, and from from a theatre, you know, he started that. Um, as a theatre show, a theatre production mm. and then it was just such a huge success and he obviously sort of made such a huge impact that he very soon was was invited to um, design that for um, yeah, as, as a film which became obviously um, a huge success uh, well, I don't know whether the film itself was mm. but um, certainly his designs were but um, yeah, it's funny Ori Kelly, even from to be honest, the first time that I'd actually really understood how successful he'd been was in 2004, I think, when um, we had an um, exhibition that toured here that was put together by the National Portrait Gallery in Canberra and it was, a, it was called Australians in Hollywood and it was mm. celebrating uh, directors, actors, cinematographers, you know, everyone that was associated with, um, with, the sort of, with Hollywood uh, and going back um, over time, well over time, and, and yeah, he was in there, just a small little mm. portrait, because apparently um, he's very rarely photographed too. So that was sort of uh, just a very small glimpse of this huge career. But until then, yeah, um, was quite new to me. Mm. Do you think, as Australians, we um, are less aware of of our talent behind the scenes in this area than than other people, or is it just a product of being behind the scenes? I don't know. I mean, from from my perspective, when we again going back to our collection, um, when we collect, it's uh, we're working with companies like Opera Australia, um, Australian Ballet, or Sydney Theatre Company, Melbourne Theatre Company, um, those big um, international, you know, big national names. Um, and it's really one of the major points of our criteria when we're actually selecting pieces that come into our collection. I'm thinking from a costume perspective. Um, that the designer really rates very highly on that. So, um, and I'm, I can use a, uh, an example at the moment. We're working with Opera Australia to develop a collection, uh, and we had very few, you know, not a lot of room. But um, we actually had to sort of make our selection based very much on on who designed each production. And uh, Lab OM was one of the productions yeah. that we collected in the end because it also has, you know, 
layers of significance to each costume. It was actually worn by an important role. Um, and obviously um, Baz Luhrmann directed the production as mm. well. It then went on to Broadway, so mm. it, was, it was very significant in mm. the history of Opera Australia as well. But, um, no, I think the designers rate very, very highly as far as um, our collection and what we want rep represented in that. Interesting period in, in, you know, in the States, the 30s, 40s, 30s, 40s, I suppose, where every, the, the costume designers were household names. Mm. They had columns. The Ori Kelly had a column that uh, it certainly came here too. It was, you, know, you look up the Broken Hill newspaper or the Geelong advertiser or whatever, you know, Ori Kelly, what he says about fashion, I'm sure he wasn't saying it. Um, some <laughs> publicist was saying it. And, there, Ori, and you know, there, there was the Warner stores sold Ori Kelly dresses, mm. uh, knockoffs of, of the designs. Um, and Adrian and you know Edith all Head. of those Edith Head yes. yeah so they were all sort of household names and then I guess we go into mass production and all of those things and they're forgotten and mm. the costume designer these days is especially for television and film uh, low budget Australian film and television would be more of a buying role than a making role um, would a lot of costumes be assembled from from shop made clothes look mm. at, at that level you're kind of a micromanager because there's the budgets are so small now that you you're given this title costume designer but you really just do it all i mean the you can ha on some things you can afford to have quite a small workroom running but it's mostly just to do alterations and deal mm. with doubles and triples and things like that. Um, but on television, it's so hard and so fast. You just hit the ground running and you go shopping, basically. And you really start from the point of the truth being, you know, what is the truth? Mm -hmm. The truth is that the actor who's been cast in the role, there's something in them that's the truth to the character. So that's your starting point. Um, I think especially for television, the, the longer the production time, the bigger the film, the bigger the story, the more you kind of move away from that. I think that, um, but in again, because there's no rehearsal time, there's, there's so many limitations that casting now is often done with that in mind and it's really successful as well but you so your starting point as a designer is actor character relationship between those two and then you move forward from there um, especially with contemporary work if it's a period drama slightly different story again but um, no it's very much a micromanagement position in those in those low budget shows but once you get into bigger budgets then it becomes just about delegation and making sure that you've got the designs and this is usually you know my my work zone is a total chaos people just come in and go really <laughs> I, go, I know where everything is don't touch anything <laughs> and you just then it's just a matter of getting the information out there and getting it into the workroom I mean Ned Kelly was a really good example of that we produced over about 2,000 garments for that particular film and we had a workroom going, we had stuff outsourced, we had work experience students rolling fabric onto rolls and people buying buttons and somebody sourcing, you know, period, all the correct things. We had a liaison person with the police and that was very much a role for me of being able to just walk around. I, I just did laps around the building, <laughs> checking in with everybody 
because we had the dye room over there and the laundry over there and the production office in the middle. So it was my day was spent making sure that the wheels were just turning and that I could tick things off and that things were looking the way they needed to look because that was all done from costume drawings. So the drawings were done, they'd been approved by Gregor and then it was just a matter of getting it going and producing according to the schedule what was needed first, what was, you know, how we could get it through the workroom. And Catherine, how much, um, how much of Ori Kelly's drawings and um, sort of designing background do we have on record? Well, there, there is some um, and some really beautiful ones that we have. Uh, it, it is believed that, um, that we may need to do some very sweet talking to some of the archival places in, in the United States that seem to hold on to these things. Um, what we feel, of course, we, Gillian, feels, and and I feel it because she does, um, <laughs> now what we feel is, is that, um, you, that, that our, our little film will make people interested in seeing the films again, mm. you know, so it's in their interests... Mm. Um, to, to release this stuff. I, I walked around this fabulous exhibition this morning and you could hear people saying, I must get that out, we must mm-hmm. see that film. We must, you know, so this is terrific. So, look, there are bits and pieces. Um, there are stories. There are um, enough people who... Re- Betty Davis refers to him a lot. Um, you know, there are arguments. Um, and then, of course, when he leaves... Uh, to go go in the military, she's lost her right arm. She can barely work. And if you think, if you you know, if you really want an interesting exercise, it would be to take out the um, you know the, the now Voyager, um, Mister Skiffington, you know th- those films, Jezebel, and just look at how he works with that um, not perfect body. Mm. You know, she had mm. low slung breasts. She didn't mm. like to wear a bra. Um, he he really and he works with her to make her look mm. beautiful, interesting, but not just that to make her psych- psychological journeys in those mm. whopping female roles that you just don't see anymore. Mm. Um, that Betty Davis sought out, bought the rights for how, whatever she did, and got them made with her her at the front of them, and and his work on them is just breathtaking and of course you wouldn't know you know you're not supposed to notice it but I mean as an exercise it's a oh, great no, thing yeah, to, as, to, yeah, if you take to investigate yeah, yeah that's right to investigate it mm. um I must say I was a bit um I liked the guy you know when I started because you want to fall in love with them you know that's one of the things and um uh I worried on one car. I was almost too worried to start watching all his movies you know because I thought what if I don't like his work Oh. You know, and and it was you know, and then oh thank God, oh, he's a genuine. He really is good. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. so that was the first thing, and uh, because you know, if, hopefully, if we get investors, we'll be working on this for, for mm-hmm. some time to come. But this morning, I realised. I'm sorry, I'm going off the question. Yeah. Does it matter? Okay. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> what's miss? Something's missing, and here's uh, here, here's a little story about it. He. Very when I got this morning to the My Fair Lady part of the exhibition, I started to almost cry mm. because he really wanted to um, design My Fair Lady really badly, so badly that he painted um, he painted Ascot. In, he used mm. to paint paint, and um, that, that's missing now. Wouldn't that be great to find that? Mm. And apparently Cecil Beaton's name was attached with the rights to that film. I'm not sure if that's true. My detective work will have to take mm. me because I don't believe that, and I wonder if they were telling a fib to mm. Ori 
Kelly, who died that year anyway. He mm. couldn't have designed it. But he just longed. They'd held the rights for six years and he longed to design that. But he got to do an American in Paris. He did get to do an American <laughs> in Paris. I know which with, one I'd rather do. That, that's true. <laughs> but, but yeah, with Sharaf. And he got to do Mame and oh, Gypsy amazing, and amazing. Some Like It Hot, yeah. which... Um, do you, can I tell quickly the story of Some Like It Hot? You know, Jack Lemmon, Art, Tony yeah, Curtis, were dressed in, go down to the um, wardrobe and pull out, uh, you know, name some actresses, their old frocks, frocks yeah. you know, and stick them on. So they're dressing, <laughs> doing what, you know, we're saying, you know, we don't want to do, and they're pulling out these things with someone else's, Ava Gardner's yeah. name yeah. on the back and labels, and they don't look good. And they don't look like girls, and they said, what we need is Ori Kelly. Mm. So uh, they bring Ori Kelly in, yep. and he designs them d- properly um, for their own bodies mm. and to look like women. And mm. there's a beautiful photo of him mm. with Jack Lemmon, you mm. know, Jack Lemmon in, in slap with short hair and a dress, you know. And uh, that's the famous um, shot where, where he comes in and says to Marilyn Monroe, you know, I think Jack Lemmon's got a better ass than you do. <laughs> and Marilyn Monroe lifts up a top, shows a breast and says, yes, but he doesn't have these. <laughs> um, so, uh, but um, they, then, so he dresses them and they test run it uh, in the Warner's um, commissary and they go into the ladies' toilets and they say, you know, we did what, what women do, do our eyebrows. <laughs> Anyway, that's what they thought women did, and they stood doing their eyebrows and doing their lips, and no one looked twice at them, and they realised they, they were on a roll. So um, there we are. Why did... Yes. We're sitting up the front, so we're not getting to see these amazing shots oh. up here that uh, show Ori Kelly's work in yeah. some of his... Because he um, was an actor to begin roles. with. He was a hoofer in, in mm. Sydney in mm. Williamson's and he started out wanting to be a performer. So I think mm. he understood performance mm. and yeah. what performers needed. And it was, uh, it was very quickly... Warner Brothers made... Um, I'm a fugitive from a chain gang or, or something like that, and it became the biggest grossing film ever in 33 or 34, or 32, or 33. That gave them the money to buy 42nd Street, and that's how he launched into musicals. Ah. So that, you know, uh, the, that's how that happened. Oh, mm. I wonder if, if um, the three of you have a favourite of uh, Ori Kelly's films from a costume perspective. Mine's an American in Paris. Is it? Yeah, I love that. You love that. Do you like yeah. the little short I just jacket? love the film, you know, right. like the whole film. Yes. So, again, it's not... Because I'm not really... I mean, I'm not a... Um, um, it's all about the costumes designer. No. I'm much more... But, but for me, that's such a complete... You know, I mean, I remember... I went through a phase of just watching all his films that I could find. And this was before I decided I was going to be a costume designer. Um, I just became quite fascinated by the whole enormous 50s 40s the musical the spec the spectacle and I don't know I mean I and then I I kind of stopped being interested in it and then did a whole lot of other stuff and this is when I was a teenager I was interested in all that and it's kind of the least the work that I'm least able to do successfully I think which is when it's a costume drama I get a bit like oh no because you're very visible, like you're very, very visible. Mm, sure. And so um, I think his skill is incredible, to be visible and invisible, because you go, that's his work, but it's so much part of the picture. You know, it doesn't just stand out on its own. It's just completely, it sits so comfortably within the whole picture. 
But no, I'm, I'm a sucker for American press, but yeah, it's the dancing. <laughs> I, I love actors. My job is, is, is to provide work for actors. That's my job description. That, that's what we do. And so I love that he loves actors, and I love in May, Auntie Mame, that mm. he gives Rosalind Russell so much to play with, mm. that she can throw a cape yeah. around, and she's just all, you know, and you just love, because nothing worse than seeing an actor stymied or embarrassed, and you just imagine her on the yeah. set. But really, the best, some like it hot, I mean, what? Well, yes, it's the best true. written film in, in the world, I think. That's and true. you could sit and watch that 20 times, re, you know, oh. turn it off, think about it, turn it, you know, I, mm. you know do stop starts on that one. Um, that's genius level, I reckon. And Marco? Yeah, I think looking at, um, obviously, we have uh, musicals like Mame and Gypsy in, in our collection represented from that sort of, you know, theatrical perspective, and it's it's those that sort of it's nice to see those links with with how they were you know actually created in, in his vision of those those works but I think um just seeing that show then the film then there was that the costume from that funny act when the three of them are of oh, the Marie Antoinette <laughs> ones with the bare arms yeah. the blue brilliant That's brilliant just, because of so course you right. couldn't show a bottom and no. you couldn't show cleavage yeah. so it's what does he do in some like it hot you yeah. know has cleavage with lace on it yeah. you know I mean yeah. I know, and you just knew uh, he was so daring. What about the basket? What about the basket? The basket of flowers for her audition piece. That was fantastic. Like he just stole it off somebody's bike. Yeah, you can almost hear her saying, oh, Mr Kelly, I'm very flat-chested. Don't don't, do something about that, you know? That was the wackiest outfit. Yeah, very collectible piece. It was fantastic. They are collectible, yes, you could... It's the bike, it's the basket at the front of the bike. <laughs> so funny. You, know, you see all those girls riding around Melbourne in their 50s outfits yeah, with their little button. I went, mean, that's yeah. it. That's but the that is an basket. audacious trio of costumes. Yeah. Oh, they're with remarkable. Those bottoms. Those very bottoms. Daring. I was quite surprised they yeah. got away with that. I mean, it was very risky. They were covered in mesh. Mm. Were they? Yeah. Mm. Just, so surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading the up on the uh, haze code, yeah. and mm. it, I couldn't see how they could get away with that. It was quite obviously mm. a bare bottom. <laughs> but I, I think, and you, you contradict me, I think Ori Kelly would push for those moments and those, um, you know, um, flaunting of the code mm. more than someone like Edith Head would. I Absolutely. think Edith Head was a little... Oh, no, I think you know, I love Ori Kelly very now, well behaved. Course, but, uh, yeah, she yes. was well behaved. Yes. She kept her job. Yes. Ori Kelly couldn't care less no, and got fired right. all the time. <laughs> a man after my own heart. <laughs> Australian, you see. Very Australian. No respect yes. for authority. No, that's right. At all. That's right. And you'd rather do the job and love the job and be, fu- and, and be true to who you are in the job than say yes sir, no sir, three bags, four mm. sir. Yeah. No, I think that's mm. that's indicative of Australians, mm. I think, and especially Australians working overseas. Mm. You just go, well, you know what? Mm, keep your job. Yes. <laughs> and what's the sense that we have of him as a person? Was he, was he, obviously he was a bit naughty, he was flamboyant, he was witty, his autobiography is called... Women I've undressed, or something, I hope so, yes. something mm-hmm. like yes, that. It is meant to be called that if we can find it. Yes. Um, as a person, look, he was gay in Hollywood. Um, interestingly, uh, George Cooker's um, and Cole Porter's um, gay parties were legendary. And if you went to Cooker's on a Friday night, you didn't go to Cole Porter's on a Sunday. You know, it was sort of uh, <laughs> there were quite two different camps. Pardon the pun. And. Um, um, so he, he's he's a gay, flamboyant gay guy in Hollywood. 
Um, this is not unusual. There, Hollywood is um, in the design section, mm. design, set design, costume design, very gay. Um, some of them married, um, like Travis uh, Banton and Adrian, I think, both married mm. in the, because the fan magazine started to cover them mm. and those guys um, married in the same way that Cary Grant married yeah. um, a number of times. The first time tried to commit suicide not long afterwards. Um, so Ori Kelly was did not do any of that. He did not pretend. He he was not a hypocrite. So that says something to me very strongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he was a big drinker. Everyone was big drinkers in mm-hmm. those days. You know the American spirits and and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a stocky guy. He was stocky and not particularly handsome. Um, I mean, you know, I think he he picked up trade you know, from time to time in his car. That's what I know. But I'm hoping he had some nice guy that he mm. he was with. I think mm. there was someone towards the end of his life. Um, loved his mother, dear to his mother. His mother was very proud of him. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a very snapshot of him. But a Serbic wit, apparently. Mm. And um, great company. And uh, they, you know, always at the... Um, I always forget her name, married to, to um, Hurst, you know, the, or, or always at the biggest and best parties and warmly welcomed, clearly, until he get, got, would get too drunk and get kicked out, probably. Yeah. And the Cary Grant connection, were they, were they definitely lovers? Or yes, they, this... were, they were lovers. Everything that I've, you know, because everything I've read and cross-read would suggest that they were lovers for those years. And then um, uh, when they came to Hollywood you would imagine that Cary Grant wouldn't want to be hanging around with a, a screaming queen when he was trying to um, hide it, really, and he needed to. Uh, as an actor, there were loads and loads of gay actors in the in the 20s. It was quite the thing to be a, a gay and effeminate. Um, the, the, the cowboys and they were all very, 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 very camp. But that changed, of course, in the late 30s, in the Depression almost, it changed because um, I think heterosexual men started to say, you know, why, why are these camp guys yeah, yeah. in work when the real men are out of work? It was all of that sort of mm. thing going on. Mm. Um, and then the Hayes Code, of course, for actors. So, um, so he and Cary Grant, it seems, didn't see much of each other until Arsenic and Old Lace, when Cary Grant comes across and... Um, which is a very interesting film to see because there are all these references to Melbourne in it. Mm. Like, um, oh, actually I wrote some down. Um, what was it? Oh, it's, it's the Melbourne method, someone says, when, oh. they, when, when they do something strange. And I'm off to see some sausage, sorry, sausage casing makers from Melbourne. Oh. <laughs> it's very odd, or from Australia or something like that. It was very... Maybe that was referencing John Truscott in a weird kind of obscure way. Would it be in the 40s? Oh, no, maybe not. Or, or I don't know, it's worth getting out for the, those bits. Um, but anyway, that, apparently they had a row there. I mean, you know, I'm clutching at straws. These are things that we know about. When someone came up who'd won a competition in a, in a car and it said Queen for a day, you know, it was a woman or something, you could come on set. And Grant said to Ori, oh, your car's waiting. <laughs> And Ori Kelly did not like that, and they had a big row. Oh. So, to my mind, the, you know, we've got a story about hypocrisy mm. and mm. and telling the truth. And, and I think, but um, but I, 
Cary Grant is named as one of the pallbearers. He had named him as an honorary pallbearer for oh. his funeral, but you'll have to see our film to see if he came or not. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if we have some questions from the audience for our guests. <laughs> yes? You can yell. <laughs> I think it does. I think it, this is this weird grey area. I, if I design a costume and I have somebody else make the suits, it's my design, but they're made by somebody else. If you go out and buy off the rack, and which you often have to do, and maybe in that case they would have had an arrangement with somebody for the suits, mm. you still impose your view as the costume designer over those suits. It may need altering, but you may be more limited in your choices than if you'd done the drawing and handed it over to the tailor and said, this is what I want. To my mind, I think most of those suits were probably made specifically for the film. I think there are a couple of jackets Mm. that... That corduroy jacket, I was looking at that thinking, hmm, purchased or made? (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's still has to sit within the costume designer's brief and world. And so it is it is it's one of those funny areas. It's like when you do a film and um, Akira might have a few gowns in there and you think, well, OK, that's his design. They're his gowns, gowns by Akira, but costume designed by me mm. because I've said I want that one, that one mm. and that one. Mm. And I need it that long and that long mm. and the arms are too short on that one, mm. so let's either make them longer or make them shorter. So it's, it's a mm. tricky... Copyrighty, designy area that's mm. very hard to resolve. I think in early Hollywood, a lot or those, the men sort of provided their own suits. Yeah, they were suit suits. Yeah, you know, they seem to come wearing their own suits. Anything that they would have been dancing in would have definitely oh, been made in house. Mm. So again, that's why I'd say a lot of the suits would probably have mm. been tailored, and they had huge workrooms. Mm. I mean, these, you know, you could say, I need those three dresses, you know, because there's a huge workroom, there's a costumier, there's a pattern maker, there's endless seamstress. Beading people. Beading, yeah, mm. they just did it all. You'd be, you know, just sewing. And then so working and 24 hours, so like mm. doing three shifts a day mm. or two shifts a day or whatever. Because it's monstrous the amount of stuff that they would have had to have made. And I'm sure the casting problems were the same, where you'd be tapping your foot saying, can we have some cast, please? Can we have some cast, please? You know who we're making it for. Yeah, because it would be helpful to have their measurements. And often you get them in the shortest amount of time that you could possibly imagine. And so you just hit the ground running. And you and again, that's all to do with the politics of deal memos and getting mm. actors signed and how much mm. money there is and what, pie, what piece of the pie they get. And there you are, a department that's servicing the film and you don't necessarily have all the information that you need to go ahead. And I don't think it would have been very different then. Oh, and screen testing the costumes. Yeah, no, that's and, right. And doing deals, getting people across, getting mm. you know, them sacked. Mm. So I think even though it's gowns by... De- it's always, in my mind, mm. as a costume designer, I say it's my costume design. The whole thing. Yeah. Mm. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. His father was a tailor and his grandfather was also a tailor and um, so he 
you know, we thought at one point of seeing him in watching his father design suits or something like that dramatised thing and I was already falling asleep as I described the scene so you know who couldn't imagine that so we're not doing that but his father did do that so I thought it was more interesting that the father held his breath underwater because this guy is so determined you know Um, but um, uh, he um, his father was a tailor he painted um, little pictures for the wedding couples that his father so his father must have made um, wedding dresses as well how can Mm -hmm. you have Mm. Um, a, a wedding couple without a wedding dress. Anyway, so the father did that. Um, he didn't seem to have any interest in doing any of that. Um, he, in New York at first, at one point, he, he was hand-painting ties. Um, he was hand-painting ties. Was it ties and scarves? I don't know about the scarves. The ties yeah, were being sent, in, uh, uh, sent to Cuba... For, for sale, and apparently the Cubans um, didn't send the money back, which is extraordinary. Um, and, uh, then, um, and then he was painting set, I believe, and then he was also working on, on the titles in silent movies. So, so design-oriented, heavily design-oriented, and painting murals and things, mm. things like that. And then it seems went, went to the costumes in the Schubert organisation. That's right. He was painting the sets, doing something like that, and they said, quickly, quickly, we need someone to do the costumes, and he oh. stepped into the wardrobe room oh. and started sewing. And the, mm. then, yes, I think that's how that worked. Mm. And then he ended up in the opera in St Louis um, um, doing, again, designing. Yeah, so he was already... And then when he went to Hollywood... Um, he didn't launch into it. He watched movie after movie after movie to see how other people did it. And his big... Um, I'm not giving away... This is this is obviously in the film. It's not a secret. But what he did was until then people... I mean, first of all, in silent movies, a lot of the actresses did bring their own mm. costumes. You know, they were, they were bringing mm. those in. So, so things are changing. Uh, and he um, was the first person because of his artistic skills, to put faces on the costume designs. So the actresses, like this new round that Warner Brothers had just bought, which was Kay Francis and... um, uh, God, my memory's terrible. What's the other one? Um, Who was it? Uh, Oh, Ruth Chatterton. Huge stars. We can't even remember them now, but Mm. yeah. And, And they... They just loved it because he put their faces mm. on the design and that mm. had never happened before. Mm. And within six months, everyone was doing it. Mm. So does that answer your question? Thank you. Yeah. What happened to him? Military. Oh, what happened to him? He gave up boozing. If what he says in the one chapter of his biography, that um, autobiography that we have is, you know, it's five, ten years now since I gave up the bottle. So it seems like he gave up drinking in the early 50s. He, he, there's a period when he wasn't doing movies. He was exhibiting paintings. A lot of people have his paintings. Bill Collins has got some. Lucille Ball bought paintings. Um, they're not bad. Um, and he then got this new wave of these films in the 50s. So we're talking Some Like It Hot, Mame, Gypsy... Um, uh, and then Chapman Report and all of that, yeah. and he got liver cancer. That was his last one, wasn't yeah, it? Chapman Report. Chapman yeah, Chapman Report, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And that was with Jane Fonda. Fonda. And he got liver cancer. Mm. And Anne Warner, Jack Warner's wife, um, who'd been in seclusion for a long time, um, she, they were obviously friends, and she sort of she nursed him to the end. 
Yeah, and he died in 64. Yeah. Yes, he used to come back a lot. Yeah, um, I think he missed his father's funeral. He didn't seem to come back for his mother's, but that's, you know, it's a long way. By the time he got mm. back, why are you going to hold up a funeral six weeks mm. or for four weeks or whatever, um, pre-flight? No, he came back in the 30s, yes. Ori Kelly returns, famous costume designer returns and says that, you know, shoulder pads are in or out or whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> so he was doing all of that sort of thing. Yeah, coming back to see his mother and then his mother went to see him. So they're obviously very close and... Um, he d- I don't think he came back. He must have become a citizen to be drafted in the war mm. um, and clearly um, minimal asset to the army. Mm. Um, <laughs> he was returned, returned to sender. Can't imagine that going well. <laughs> the cocktail cart wasn't coming oh. round, so he went and found it. Yeah. <laughs> when he started working at Warner's, he wanted a... Um, you know, you got your own room, as you are saying, and he... Um, he wanted it all in gold, gold leaf. That's how he wanted it. And, and Warner said, no, no, we're not doing that. So he put it all in silver leaf. Oh. And, but the, the cocktail cart did come around. Or, you know, it was on a, it was a, you know, yeah. a proper thing mm. with shakers and everything. Mm. There it is. As it should be. As it should be. I don't know how you could even draw straight. But anyway. <laughs> um, I wasn't aware of Ori Kelly for... A very long time. I think it's only been in the last few years that I've been aware of him. And um, I realised that every time I watched Casablanca, which I've watched mm. so many times, and of course all those iconic scenes um, and the costumes, you know, he was mm. responsible for for that. So, um, you know, he's really entered our, you know, the culture of mm. the look of Ca- Casablanca when you mm. think of all those famous scenes are really part of our I think of that culture. sweater was really something... I always call it the cardigan, but it's a sweater, isn't mm, it? Mm. And he, you know, because he said if I had a dollar for every time that damn sweater was sold, yeah. you know, because copied, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and he was the first person to not to put a civilian in a trench coat. That's what I thought. There was someone else who did that. But the first person to put a trench coat, um, what do you call it, loosely tied? Oh, yeah, to tie the belt tie instead the, of doing the buckle. Instead of yeah. doing the buckle, yeah. Yeah. just to tie it in that yeah. way that yeah. we love so much. Yeah. When <laughs> when he does that. It's the little things. Yeah. (laughs) And the costumes in Casablanca aren't overtly glamorous and yet Ingrid Bergman looks so um, beautiful in her almost severe costumes Mm. and um, that was one thing about Ori Kelly, wasn't it, that it was all about the character. It Mm. wasn't about making the star look like... Yeah, he got in trouble for that. There was a Mm. big conflict. I think if you read the history of Casablanca, there was Mm. something that happened where I think that that, um, he was called in and Ingrid Bergman cannot look like this. She looks like a frump. What are Mm. those shoes? What are those white shoes? Where's the glamour? Yeah, and those Mm. white shoes make her legs look this and this. Mm. You know, let's Mm. get... Yeah, anyway, he... He but won, that happens, that's, it just goes on and on. You really, I, I hear that on every job I work on. Really? You go, yeah, because that's the character. But she doesn't look, what, like a movie star? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you do get past the hurdle. It's the fear. It's the point of fear, usually, for producers and mm. a director because they, they, they go into this little crisis of no, nobody's going to get it. And, of course, you've got to trust your audience. There's a lovely story with Ori Kelly with... Um, I think it's Jezebel. Could it be Jezebel? No, it's not at all. It's Elizabeth and Essex or... Yes, 
he did an Elizabeth for Betty Davis, which is not one of the Elizabeths down there. And um, they, they said, no, she can't possibly have those huge hoops. Cannot possibly. No, 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 no. They're just too big. We can't work with them. So Ori Kelly and Betty Davis went away. They made smaller ones with smaller hoops, but then on the day used the bigger hoops. Yeah. <laughs> Director didn't know. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> they were a match, those two. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, conspiring. That's yeah, excellent. that's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, so um, then you compared the past and the present and mentioned Catherine Martin. Um, who else do you all um, admire in contemporary, um, in contemporary cinema from Dutch to Tang and uh, Christian to Tang? Oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> that's only because I'm sitting here. And Not at all, no. I think um, Terry Ryan is a great mm-hmm. costume designer. Um, he's he's not dissimilar to Mr Kelly wow. in some of his traits. Um, he's quite cantankerous and quite um, grumpy and quite funny and loves a drink and who doesn't? And he's amazing with women's bodies. He really mm. is extraordinary. He can do um, incredible things with shapes and has a fantastic way of just looking at someone and being able to take them into the character. Um, I like Terry's work. I mean, I'm also, I'm not a kind of, I'm also not, I don't have like people that I go, oh, you know, Janet Patterson, she's another one who I think is really great. But I think we're all so different. Mm. That's one of the things that I really like about Australian designers is that I think there aren't too many of us, costume designers, who who are too similar. We all have particular ways of, of working and visual styles, which I think are quite clearly marked. Um, I do think Janet's pretty brilliant. Mm. Um, and there's that lovely um, example of Janet's work down in the foyer. foyer. The yeah. Bright yeah. Star, the yeah. pink Bright dress, star. Yeah. if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You should talk about this. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I could name a favourite, but I think someone that really features a lot in the collection is probably Christian Fredrickson, mm. who we lost you know, a few mm. years ago now, but um, is incredibly prolific mm. across all the art forms, so dance, mm. opera and theatre. Mm. He also, I think he did one film too, um, Undercover, I think. It oh was. yes, that's right. Um, yeah. The History of Burley, the Australian underwear. That's mm. right. Um, yeah, I think I think he's a he's, and just again the way he could adapt to different art forms, mm. you know, the um, the different needs that a dance costume might have over mm. an opera costume, and, mm. and again with theatre, um, and that lovely collaborative um, approach that he could take. I think he had, had a particularly strong collaboration with Graham Murphy, so had probably the strongest leaning in mm. the end towards dance. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably probably him but there's mm. just so many mm. yeah he was prolific he was he was incredible mm. yeah i wonder what are some of the special sort of uh, requirements for costumes that actors and dance that dancers need for example gene kelly uh in in this film would he have had to have specially flexible pants that kind of thing well they have to be able to do all the things they've got to do without someone running in with a staple gun going (laughs) stapling up the seams every time they split and the the great thing about it is that you look at them and they just look like a pair of pants but there's 
construction involved in them that that allows them to do the things they but need to do. But there was pre-Lycra. I mean, it's interesting in the exhibition mm. talking about the Superman, the first Superman. Mm. Even the Christopher Reeves one, they didn't have the right fabric. No, to... and it's really because there was girdling fabric, so right. which had some stretch in, in it, it, but right. very unforgiving and, and hard to work with. So it was more about panels that were inserted right. into costumes and extra little that. pieces right. and gussets that were put right. in that would allow you to do certain mm. movements. And in some of the women's costume, and you can see the netting and, and um, flesh nude-coloured netting, which mm. was around, mm. that you would use to hold things in place. You know that great off-the-shoulder number? That she oh, see, like, that's a wonderful, that's wonderful dress. And, so it, and it goes so well with her other plain tops. So you know, two brilliant. Women. So provocative. So just... So beautifully cut. Fantastic. Mm. And I, I was looking at it again. I was looking at it thinking, now, is that cut? to stay that way mm. or is that something that the actor has manipulated and the way it gaped I thought it was an actor response to the costume I think maybe she'd put it on and it was a little bit big and she went oh actually that's quite mm-hmm. interesting because it it if it had been tailored that way it wouldn't have had that no, gaped right, there right, right, so right, right, and again right. I think mm. that they're the interesting things that happen mm. as well when you're in a costume fitting and someone comes in and you try something on and those little things start emerging um, and, you know, I, th- I was looking at that thinking, oh, I'm wondering if one of that's one of those moments. But, no, I think um, the requirements for dance when they're day wear are really quite tricky. And it's, it's easier now because we have all those super mm. fabrics. But then it would have been really incredibly, just very labour-intensive, the work involved in creating those costumes, especially the big showgirl pieces. And I love... I think most of those... Um, extras in Lay Girls would have been costumes that had come out of stock. You know, so you got this great sense of the enormity of their resources in that, mm-hmm. in that sense, that there are football field size rooms full of costumes. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, when you hire things from American costume places now, like Western Costume Hire or Palace, they are labyrinths of just rooms and rooms and rooms. It's something you, we couldn't even imagine here mm-hmm. of costumes dating back to early this century. And it's remarkable. You know, you just ring them and you say, oh, I need 60 1930s day dresses, thanks. And in they come. But see, a lot of the Warner stuff all got shot out. Sold and, off. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. to students and, and so on. Yeah. You, you know, um, it, oh, gosh, sorry, I just thought of something. I was going to tell you, completely... Oh, no, completely just... Oh, no, I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> you said Warner, you said... The dresses, costume hire. Costume hire. Uh, fabrics. No. Do we have any more questions? I'll ring everyone yeah. up and let you know what <laughs> I was going to say. Yes. Oh, well, just given what you're saying about the costumes being reused. Yep. So oh, I know. Go on. Despite the number you said he designed almost, sometimes almost weekly for many years. Mm. No, none. No, 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 none, none, no. So, so Warner's hung on to them till the till the seventies or so. No, no, there's none. Well, he, yeah. do, you don't own the costumes. He doesn't own you them, so. you sell your license. So every time. No, there was no one collecting like that no. at all. And in fact, you know, that's why I think it's clever about this exhibition is using the images of the actor on their own. Those costumes mm. are kind of a little bit boring. Mm. Can I, what I was going to say was, 
you know, we mustn't forget too that you know he, he's working. He's obviously working with the director. George Cukor had a very odd relationship on this film. He was more interested in the design than because the actors weren't. They didn't. There was conflict between mm. him and Gene Kelly, mm. apparently. Because mm. um, uh, Gene Kelly directed musicals, I think he thought he should be doing this one. Oh. Um, anyway, and he also was reluctant to use Mitzi Gaynor. Um, uh, is, is you realise, you know, when you're looking at some of those early early um, shots um, f- from above mm. in, in, in the theatre... You know, when, when oh, we crane yeah. up, yeah. and and Kelly and and the feature, you know, the hat that she's wearing when she runs out has that little white band on it, yeah. and we can spot her through yeah, all yeah. of those mad yeah. costumes. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. spotting someone in yeah. dark clothes, yeah. but then we're also spotting that white mm. stripe at the, mm. around the hat go mm. off into mm. the darkness towards yeah. the big doors. Yeah. And uh, you know, so so the, the design is also working with the cinematographer mm. and and knowing mm. what the requirements will be mm. long, long time before. Mm. Oh, it's there's no arbitrary. You know, everything is thought through. Every mm. shot, every block. You know, I mean, if you if you know you've got a block of actors, so he would have been thinking about those scenes in terms scenes in terms of how many extras there are, the colour blocking he wanted to do with that, how you make that journey work, so that the camera is not doing a hundred percent of the work, so yeah. that it's a shared load. Yes, right. You say, That's oh, a lovely okay, way I'll to put, put her in a you mm. know. I'll put her in a lurex dress so you can't miss her against the blood, mm. or I'll put her in the turquoise hat so you can pick that up. Mm. No, it's you've got you've got to collaborate across. And you know, it's things. the same as as writing, of course. Mm. I mean, that beautiful piece of writing um, is no accident in the train carriage mm. where they're sharing that guy's bottle. Oh, yeah. This would not be a very interesting scene <laughs> yes. of a woman bleaching at a man yes. in a train carriage. Yeah. You'd be bored to tears, but suddenly you're going, well, "Who's going to yeah. take the wine?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant writing, yeah. and you know that's yeah. that's no accident. Yeah. That was good. And again, so it's incredibly controlled um, shots. Really, you know, I kept on looking at it thinking that's a three. So there's three of them in that carriage. That's the only POV we've got mm. of that. That was mm. it. Bang. All that information, done, mm. gone. Mm. Not this angle, that angle. You know, it was, I love that simplicity. Mm. How are we going for time? Is it nearly six o'clock? Yeah. Maybe we've got time for one last question, if anybody has one. Or I might have one. Yes, oh, you've got one, yeah. Oh, you mentioned you did some theatrical work in Sydney City. Doing nothing appear in any reviews of the stage plans? Um, uh, he, he worked for Williamson's and um, I think was probably let go. <laughs> and I think he said the Williamson's was... Um, Seemed to manage very well without him, <laughs> so I have a feeling he he he, he was a hoofer. He was obviously a good mm. dancer mm. because when he got to Hollywood, he was famed at parties for doing some hot shoe shuffle that he could you know uh, tear yeah. out for, at a party yeah. and amuse them all. Yeah. So he he was I think he was a chorus boy. Yeah, I probably. Uh, hulky little chorus <laughs> boy. You know, he's a big, he's a butch-faced bloke, solid rock. You know. So I think he wouldn't have been lighting his feet in the <laughs> JCW's chorus. So you're thinking about reviews, like um, the, would he have been reviewed? Yeah, yeah no, no. He he spent time chorus. in Sydney. He was um, he he was working in a bank. His mother wanted him to work in the bank, and he studied painting under a Mr Cox in in um, Sydney. And then he when he leaves, I I found his. Um, um, when you go on a boat, whatever you call it, you know, you 
your name and, and your occupation. He put down painter. Mm. So that was, he was about 21 at that stage. That's so he was going Sydney to New York um, as an he, occupation painter. And he was George Ori Kelly at that time. Mm. So, and his friends called him Jack. That seems to be the... Yeah, so I think he fancied himself as a painter. There was something about him studying painting in Paris, but I don't think that ever that didn't um, that didn't happen. And his I imagine the furthest thing from his mind was that he was going to end up working in Hollywood. He wouldn't mm. have thought that. Mm. He's a fascinating talent. And uh, oh, we've got one last question. Look, oh, yeah, you know, there, I, I reckon there could be, yes. and um, there's another film, oh, Fashions of 33, 34 or something, mm. with Betty Davis, and I think a lot of his designs are in that, because mm. she's a costume designer. Mm. Oh, yeah, for and sure. And so there's drawings. Yeah. I, I think there probably are. There's a few times. Oh, I know what I was going to say before. Spot the hand-painted fabric. He was very famous for hand-painting mm. fabric. Again, this hand-painting ties mm. thing. And um, hand painting shoes, right in up into this. I think in the Chapman report, he mm. the actress said, "But they won't see my shoes," and he said, "But you will." <laughs> so you know, so hand painting shoes, and um, I reckon, yes, I think probably anywhere he could mm. chuck one of his own paintings up there, he mm. probably did. Mm. Yeah, it's a, that's a good observation. I didn't even notice those. You know when um, have another look for those things when you. she's drunk and sitting. You mean that one where she's in the white kind of. Get, um, a dressing gown for sake for sake of a better word. And oh, she's picking apart the the carnations, and there's the oh. image above her on the wall. Oh, yeah. And there's the like the mother and child and similar soft fabrics oh. and and the little red flowers. And I thought oh, that's quite. He could have knocked well that up done. overnight for the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it wow. kind of was a bit shigali not, but you know, in that yes. that kind of. World. I mean, he certainly did a lot of research. You know, for, for those yeah. big films, so, you know, he went to Europe. I mean, he you know he and Betty Davis pulled out books and studied mm. history and, oh, you, you know, to. the same as, yeah. as contemporary fashion designers yeah. do. I mean, sorry, um, costume designers. Mm. And there are three other films um, that Ori Kelly designed the costumes for that are showing at Acme, uh, Auntie Mame, Some Like It Hot and Gypsy, mm. and I'm going to be trying to catch those in the next little while. And um, there's also the Marilyn Monroe costume that uh, the sort of shimmery sheer dress that she wore in Some Like It Hot downstairs if you haven't had a chance to see it in the flesh. It's not quite the same without her in it, but it's still worth seeing. Thank you so much to our guests today. Um, Let's give them a round of applause. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to ACME Channel and the ACME website.